is Daniel Brinkley. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our heart and open up our souls and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. Radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. We're back for our second hour. Uh, what you just heard at the beginning of was actually the third hour, so it'll be back too. That was our uh, archived our interview of uh, Dr. Lee Poulos, who's working on some amazing stuff. We do some stuff that's pretty amazing actually right during the show. So if you haven't heard that one, that one's a classic from our archives. It'll be on the third hour. Um, this hour, we have something really exciting that I've been looking forward to getting back to for some time, several months, and uh, he's here, Dr. Albert Taylor, out-of-body expert, um, soul traveler. That was your book, right? Yes, that's Soul, it. soul traveler. And uh, judging from our first conversation, that is certainly what we are talking about here. Um, if you missed our first show with Dr. Albert Taylor, it is in the archives. Listen to it later, not now, because he's here now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was a, a shocking uh, surprise to me. Um, first of all, welcome back, Dr. Taylor, to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, I've been looking forward to talking to you again. I got it sort of threw me for a loop. You know, the first time we talked, and you were talking about sort of the symptoms and signs of of when someone was starting to pull out of their body, and we talked about that roaring sound and that pulling forward sensation at mock speed. And as you were telling all this stuff to the listeners, I'm thinking, I've had that. <laughs> right, I get that so often too. I bet you do. Yeah, a lot of people when I tell them, I mean they. And, you know, without somebody just telling you what it is, you think you're the only one having that experience and you don't connect it to the out-of-body. But when I start sharing about all the little things that lead up to it, so many people say, oh, my God, that's what that is. Yeah. I thought it was just me. I know, because you put, there's no frame of reference for it. You can't put it in right. anything. Exactly. You know, just, they don't teach it in school. Yeah, and you don't hear anyone saying, oh, geez, I was roaring and being pulled out of my body last exactly. night. Exactly. <laughs> it's not something you tell anybody. No. Because you kind of think, you know, am I going crazy? And I, you don't want anybody to, to think that you're strange, but the, the reality of it is there's the majority of us out there about 70% of the people are having these experiences and can remember them. The other 30% are having the experiences and can't remember them. Well, it's just so far beyond the realm of, of this 3D existence experience, you know, mm-hmm. that I, that really, you're right. I mean, there, there must be so many people out there all going, what the hell? And not. And I tried telling one person, they told me I had some horrible disease. I didn't mm-hmm. tell anybody <laughs> again, you know. I kept really <laughs> tight-lipped on it after that. But, you know, this has to be rampant. If, that, if it's that common where you're getting that coming up everywhere, you're telling the story. 
it's got to be, you know, a major issue. So I really wanted to get back in there and, and go over this again. Now, where we left off was we had covered, you know, your story of how this was happening to you earlier in life and, and your discovery process around what it was and, and experimenting with it. And then you were telling me about the steps of how to essentially induce this exploration. Mm-hmm. I'd like to pick it up there. Is that where we left off? And do it again, yeah. Oh, okay. That's you, a good place to start. Yeah, because, you know, I'll tell you why. Because I came home and um, I actually had my car blow up like five minutes after that show that night, and, and all heck broke loose for a while. <laughs> Blow up? It, pretty much, yeah. Wow. I was actually okay. stranded in the States for like six days, and by the time I got home, I, you know, because at the end of that show, I thought, oh, I've got a great idea. We've got a team of remote viewers in you know, Vancouver area and through online through some of the training we've been doing, and I emailed them. I said, who's in? Listen to the show. See if you want to do this, and we can go meet somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you Rendezvous. know, uh, yeah, yeah. So I want to do like a, like a scheduled virtual event or something, and really do experiments with this. I think this is cool stuff. So I think experiments in human consciousness is something that is extremely fascinating, and actually, you you, uh, you end up getting results from it. It's uh, more cases than not. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, amazing it amazing what we're capable of doing. And your steps and the outline was so clear, I thought, wow, we could really do this and actually track and, and document, you know, what results we do get. And we could even do it with listeners on the air. Definitely. Oh, definitely. That's the best thing about it. And that's why the book is successful, Nicole, because you got to remember, it's my diary. It's not a book, really. I mean, it is now, but originally it started off just being a journal that I was keeping for myself. I had no idea that it would become as widespread as it is. And the only reason that it is widespread is because 70 to 80% of people out there can relate to it and actually uh, accomplish and achieve these type of things. That's the only reason. And of course, it's not about just my story. It's, about, it's everybody's story. It's our story. Well, and the cool thing about this is you don't have to be like Daniel and get your but fire it off. Yeah, you don't have to get electrocuted. <laughs> you know, that sounds painful. <laughs> you don't have to get blasted out of your shoes. I mean, he's always not joking about the short course where you, you know, stick a fork in the light socket or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to induce it. <laughs> no. It's something, and the thing about it that's really wonderful versus the near-death experience is that you can repeat it over and over again until the last day of this, you know, of your existence over and over again. You can have numerous out-of-body experiences. You How know? many and, have you And had? the thing about it, you know, not to knock the near-death experience because, I mean, they, they didn't plan on that. Usually it just happens to people, you know, 99.5% of the time it was a total shock to them. But the thing about it, imagine if you, it's like an airplane, you know, like a reconnaissance airplane. Imagine if you were flying into uncharted territory one time and you came back versus flying over there many, many, many times and charting the area and coming back. You're going to gather so much information versus that one trip. That's what's going to, and that information is going to literally change your life uh, completely. You will never, ever be the same. And the near-death experience, of course, you're never the same usually in that, those cases too. Mm-hmm. But you can build upon information and go back and find out even more. And it literally will change your life. And it, it will, I think it, what it does, is it wakes you up to who you really and who you are and what you really are. So, 
you don't just stay here. Well, first of all, how many times have you do you figure you've gone out of your body and tripped around at night? Countless, because it's been happening to me since I was five. So that would I'd be, say countless. That would be I have no idea. It happens about without me trying about once a week. Wow. So you put all those weeks together, and I'm, you know, I'm 48 years old. You can do the math. So you've, you've been on a few. It wasn't until about um, maybe 13, 14 years ago that I actually started planning my routes and, and inducing it. But normally, even if I don't think about it or try, it just happens to me once a week. So you're not just going places on Earth. Oh no, stopped doing that a long time ago. That got boring. Oh, boring. There's like the, <laughs> there's so many places, non-physical locations that you never ever would dream of. I mean, didn't even know existed. That is just pale. everything here pales in comparison. There's no place on the physical world, on the physical planet, on the planet Earth, that can hold a candle to the non-physical realms and and uh, experiences that you can have. So that's what that's the wake up call right there. See, it's not about I can leave my body. It's about having these non physical uh experiences in, in locales that, you know, only exist in another plane, that that's the wake up. That's where you realize, Oh my God, I'm just a visitor here. That's where I really come from. That's where I really reside and that's where we all go back to. Now, again, coming from my only frame of reference, which was the roaring thing and that mm-hmm. pulling force, you know, what I clearly know was that it was so real. It wasn't, you know, I'm not the least bit fuzzy on the issue. You right. know, it was so different and so awake, and I was so hyper-aware um, because it was so strange, you know. Is it like that, that level of awareness, you're still you, you're out of your body, but you're that aware and, and awake, well, the way I describe it, Nicole, as I say, if you think it was a dream, it probably was. Because the experience that I'm talking about, it stays with you forever. You never forget it. It is nothing like anything you've ever experienced. It, it is, and, it, and no matter how much time passes, it is just like it happened yesterday. You remember every detail of it. That's the experience. Because really, you know, a long time ago, they used to call that a, a subconscious experience. But really, and I like to use the phrase super consciousness, super conscious experience, mm-hmm. because that's what it is. It's more you know, real you're, than... You're leaving this and going to uh, put you in the potential. I mean, there's no limits to it. You could go to an all-knowing level. Well, literally, and that's happened to me a few times. Only thing about it is when you come back, you forget a lot of things. But you go to a level <laughs> that, and this is the only way I can describe it, and it's so incredibly powerful, is that for the first time in my existence, my entire life, that I can ever, ever remember, I had no questions about anything. Zero. Wow. All I had to do was think about it, and I knew the answer. It's such an incredible, super conscious level, and like Daniel always says, power, we're powerful spiritual beings. Well, when you get into that conscious level, you get to experience how powerful that, that you really are, and it, it will change you forever. You never, ever will forget it, and it will be so intense and vivid that it's nothing like a dream ever could be. Wow. Dreams fade. Some dreams we don't even remember, but this sticks with you. And, and that's the thing, and it changes your waking life, too. Most dreams don't. You that's go, right. oh, yeah, I had a dream that I was doing this. But this changes everything you are, the encounters you have with people and who you think you are. When you look in the mirror, you see something different. You don't see yourself the way you used to. 
So That's how you, profound it is. Have you gone to this place of the tunnel and the light and all that stuff? Have you gone I, there? And, and the thing is, is that when you're going through it in the near-death experience, it, it, a lot of times you perceive it as a tunnel. In the out-of-body experience, you're not being drawn anywhere, so you're going there because you choose to. And what happens is, and the slower you go, what you what you realize is that there's a separation of of like realms. And in that separation of realms, meaning the physical realm and then the next level and then whatever is after that, there's this void of nothing. Well, if you're going through there at an accelerated rate, and especially if there's other light beings there, then you're going to perceive movement and it's going to appear to be like a tunnel. Mm. Imagine going through this, you know, it's like you've seen it in Star Trek. When they're moving through the stars real quick and the stars are moving all around them, it appears to be like a tunnel. Whoopsie. So that's what I discovered that, and I wrote about that, that void area. And some people who had near-death experiences who go through it a lot slower, you know, and end up in this, this void of nothingness. And, but, the, but a lot of them have described seeing uh, other people along the way. Uh, so if they're, you know, so the, the faster you go, the more tunnel-like uh, the experience is. Is that the is. place that Danian calls the blue-gray place? The blue-gray? Yeah. It might be, because, you know, what we're talking about, we're not talking about vision, meaning that, you know, my, uh, a light ray comes through my, the, lens, the lens in my eyes and is, you know, reflected off the retina and, and it's interpreted uh, through the optic nerve and it's sent, the information sent to the brain. We're not talking about light rays. What we're talking about is a perception of soul, how you perceive it. And how you perceive it has to do with how you can relate, how you relate this type of, uh, because I guess it's like more, more energy or a sensation than anything, how you perceive it. So you can perceive it as, you know, a void. You can perceive it as a light gray area, uh, a nothingness, as a friend of mine, uh, William Bowman, has described it. So it, it's a perception, but I believe that it's uh, a rose by any other name. But when you get through the, the nothing? Place. When you get through the nothing, do you see stuff then? There's the first lower, the lower, the first level. The first level, um, a lot of metaphysicians called it the astral plane. You know, that's the astral realm. Okay. And the astral realm, part of it is here and part of it is not here. So that's the first level. And, and what there's, okay, and, and when you go into that level, everything is populated. Nothing is really in, empty in these different realms. It may be a little void, it may be empty in between the realms, but when you get into the realms, everything is populated. And when I mean populated, I mean populated by other souls just like you. Some of them will be maybe, and this is not a judgment call, um, not as evolved. And, mm -hmm. and the first level, the, the, the lesser evolved spirits or souls are at that level, and they populate that level. Uh, the confused souls populate that first lower level. And you but see as them? you go higher and the vibratory rate of, of your consciousness changes and, and, and uh, it increases, as you do that, then you begin to have more, um, for lack of a better word, angelical-like encounters, uh, light-being encounters, uh, the light, that kind of thing, the higher and higher you go. But that first level... You can run into all kinds of souls who is, most of them are confused because the afterlife is not exactly what they were taught it was going to be. And you've actually interacted? Oh, definitely. That's the part. See, 
I can't say I was willing and, and open-minded to that. I was terrified of spirits when I was a kid, and even as an adult. I didn't want to run into any ghosts. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to run into any dead people. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't something that I, I really looked forward to. So it was terrifying to encounter something else out there that could actually interact with me and talk and speak and, and touch me. And it, me. it touched you? Oh, yeah. There's a... There's, there's a it Well... I can't say physical, but you get the sensation of touch. Wow. So all of that was frightening. And then, I, like I wrote in my book, I had encounters with my aunt, who passed away 10 years before. And I, and I even thought, you can't be here. This, I don't even believe in this stuff. But repeatedly, I had experiences with her. And it's, it's very different from just, like, bumping into a neighbor. Because not only do you perceive them, which you think you, you see them, because it's, it's, you have a vision. It's not light vision like normal, like we have, but it is a vision. But not only do you have that experience, but you sense them. So you can feel the emotions and, and things that they're generating. Meaning if they are generating an incredible amount of love toward you, you feel and you sense that. So it, it's, it's an incredible experience. And one of the things is when you're in that altered state, Every emotion that you can experience is magnified tenfold. So not only is it going to be feel like the most intense love that you've ever experienced before, but on the other hand, if you're very fearful, it's going to be the most intense fear you've ever felt before. Oh, great! A lot. Well, but <laughs> but the thing about it, see, because of its intensity, that's what convinces you it's justified, but it's really not. It's just because it's very you're, you're very sensitive to all kinds of emotions. So the key here is to, first of all, sus- try to suspend as much fear as you can, but that's difficult. I get a lot of letters from people saying, how do I overcome the fear? Well, the only way you can overcome the fear is to keep revisiting the area and realizing that there's nothing to fear, that nothing has happened to you. Which of course if you really want to be afraid, be afraid to get up in the morning and go to the ATM <laughs> or get on the freeway. That's the scariest part of our existence. Over there, everything is very different. It's nothing like here. Over there, you're welcome. Over there is where you're truly, truly loved. Over there is where you're accepted. Over there is home. This isn't. This is a place we visit to learn things, but this isn't home. So it's it's more challenging and more scary and more all of the negative energies are here. More right, than here. right. To wake up in the morning and go out into the real world is a hundred times more uh, scary or scarier than any than any times you would go on the other side. And yet, that's home, and, yet and that's where you love. Scary. And it's not it's not uh, governed by the things that we have here. It's not governed by jealousy and and hate and discrimination and manipulation and control and all the little things that make us human. Hmm. None of that exists over there except. The one thing that, uh, that I do find that exists is the intense love and uh, emotions and fear. So the, the duality is still there in, the, in those emotions, huh? Yeah, that still, uh, that seems, I think that's because that's a part of us. We take that into that area because that's a part of us. Just like we choose to be angry here, over there, you know, first of all, anger is based on something. Anger is based on something that is not occurring the way you want it to. Over there, because you accept everything the way it is, there's no anger. 
Everything mm. is happening, and you understand that everything is happening just as it should. So you feel you don't anger us to is something that's generated by us to cause change. We need to change something. We don't like something the way it is. But over there, because you're in a super conscious state, you understand that things are just the way they should be. So anger doesn't really can't really exist. Well, it's usually control. So you feel more in control over there. Um, you you are if you if you focus on being yes. But most people, without someone sharing it with them that you are, most feel, people feel out of control and lost hmm. because you don't readily, because of coming from being human, human having a human experience, and and having five senses telling you, you know, giving you information about your surroundings. Coming from that and going into that situation, and because all our te- teachings and religious teachings and all those things that we have here that are taught to us about the afterlife. When you go over there, a lot of times you're, you're lost and confused because it's, 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 a lot of times it's not like you were taught or like you expected. And plus, you're, you don't have your five senses. It's very different. You have other senses that um, you can't readily remember how they function. So you are lost for a certain de- a period of time. That's why it takes a lot of repeat visits to regain that that understanding of how things function and how to release the way things function here. Don't take over there the things that you think, you know, the the human experience, because it doesn't apply. How many? Physics, the laws of physics, time and space don't apply over there at all. How many senses do we have over there, do you think? And that's hard to say, because... We're talking about a consciousness that's capable of doing of of perceiving almost anything. Mm. I haven't found, and I would say multiple, because I haven't found any limitations to it yet, and I've been exploring that. So, oh yes, sight, hearing, all the things that we have here, you can perceive that, but then you can perceive different uh, what we what we call time periods, things that have happened long ago, things that are yet to happen. So and and different locations, physical, non-physical. So I haven't, and and the only thing I can say is I have to go back to what Daniel said. You're a powerful spiritual being, and that means limitless. That means mm-hmm. every physical law, the law of physics, does not apply to this consciousness that we have. It is capable of doing things that readily. I think the brain really cannot perceive what that consciousness is capable of doing. So. Is it like, uh, you know, when we come here, we come in and there's somebody there, you know, helping you and taking care of you right away as soon as you get here, basically, you know, mm-hmm. upon arrival. Is it not like that over there? Um, okay. That's, that's, I get that question. They say, how come people get over there and get lost? Uh-huh. Well, there's no time over there. So, that you know, it, in their perception, it may seem like an hour, a hundred years of time, but there is no time, so eventually someone is going to come along. But it's not, but you can't judge it based on time like we do here. You're born into this world, and immediately within that minute, 30 seconds of you being born, someone is caring for you. Well, over there, there's no time, but there, it, but you will be cared for. So you can't judge it. So that's the same reason that when a person dies and you, you hear, hear about ghosts haunting a house or, or a castle 
for two, three hundred years, and you wonder, well, why haven't they gone on to the next stage of the afterlife? Well, eventually they will, but it but it has nothing to do with the time, what we call time here. Mm. Eventually, someone, a higher self, will come along, a relative or something will ha- come along and help escort that person on. A lot of and a lot of times, if you feel like you're 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 supposed to stay in a certain location, or you're waiting for Saint Peter or Saint Ga- or Gabriel to blow his horn. Sometimes you you're because you are a powerful being, you trap yourself in that reality. It doesn't mean that it's real, but you trap yourself in there. But eventually, because we're not alone in any way, shape, or form, eventually something, something very let's say more evolved than ourselves, will come along and assist you to the next level of your you know of your experience hmm. of your afterlife experience in a, in a non-linear form it's almost yes, the same as exactly. someone being here okay. exactly and that's you know that's so hard to even fathom it is. that there's another existence that's not governed by time you know i i i don't even know if i could even understand it if i hadn't experienced it Mm-hmm. Well, because that's it's so unlike anything that we know in the, with these five senses and this consciousness, this lower consciousness. That's right. You know, but the but what's wonderful about it is that you can experience it, and when you do experience it, that's when you'll understand. It's like you know, it's not about belief anymore, Nicole. It's not my belief has nothing to do with this. It's about the experience that's taught me this because I was raised Catholic. Catholic school, they don't talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. I was never taught this stuff. But when I had the experience, it doesn't matter what I'm taught from that point on. My belief system cannot dictate to this experience. This experience has brought on a knowing of I just know how it is. And I totally accept it, and it totally makes sense to me. And you've got instructions to let other people know how it is. So why don't we take a quick break, and we'll get more into this. Um, Stand by. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave your body. (laughs) Stay with us. This is News for the Soul. Our guest, Dr. Albert Taylor, out-of-body expert, uh, author of Soul Traveler. We're going to be right back in a minute or two. Don't go away. Here's a moment dedicated to your empowerment, brought to you by James Ray. Hi, this is James Arthur Ray. Everyone talks about transcending the ego, but how do we make this important mystical principle a practical reality in our lives? Ego is a Latin term simply meaning I. Therefore, your ego is nothing more than the identity and world model you have created in your own mind. Are you with me? The challenge is that left unchecked, you build a life of rote and routine that steals the very juice and adventure that you're here to experience. One way to tame your ego is to take it off guard. Break your routine. Do something your current self-image could never imagine you doing. Here's an example. For three years, I disciplined myself to get up at 4 a.m. every morning to exercise and meditate, no matter what time I'd gone to bed and no matter how I felt when I woke up. As you might imagine, this was tough, and my ego often screamed like mad. After three years, this practice had become a habit, so it was time to change again. This time, I would sleep until I woke up on my own, no matter what. If my eyes opened at noon, so be it. I changed my schedule to accommodate my sleep, and the whole thing really drove my ego mad. The internal chatter told me I was lazy and unproductive. Believe it or not, I longed to go back to those 4 a.m. wake-up calls. The once uncomfortable had become comfortable. 
But you know what? The best time to prove you are a spiritual warrior and truly in charge of your own life is when your ego nags you not to do something that is uncomfortable. Do it anyway. Do crazy things to break habitual routines that could dull your senses and steal your power, like take ice-cold showers if you're used to hot ones. <laughs> this will really tick your ego off. Eat while others are sleeping. Sleep when others are working. Move frequently, or at least change your environment, living situations. Break your routine. Give away your favorite piece of clothing or furniture just to prove to ego self that you are non-attached and not defined by externals. Do this, and remind yourself that you are committed to a life of power, not weakness that you are in charge, not your whiny, energy vampire ego, or even your physical body. So let me ask you, do you need a certain lifestyle or level of comfort, predictability, or control for your happiness? How much energy do you expend daily on projecting and protecting your desired self-image? How much of your life is lived in a routine and a rut? And most importantly, how can you shake things up and reclaim your power? This is James Arthur Ray, asking you to stop the world and use the principles you're learning here to realize your infinite self. Find out more about James Ray by visiting jamesray.com forward slash win. That's jamesray.com forward slash W-I-N. And tune in next week to hear more here on News for the Soul. And let's get back to the show. Whitney News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained, here with Dr. Albert Taylor, out-of-body expert. He knows what he's talking about. He goes there. And um, we're going to go there, possibly, uh, because he's got a system that you can follow, a step-by-step system to explore this phenomenon yourself so that you're not just hearing another person talking at a show. You're actually going to uh, have a chance to come from experience on this, if you haven't already. Um, so, Dr. Taylor, uh, maybe we can recap on the steps that you talked about the first okay. time that we talked. If okay, in a nutshell, it's really simple. Um, it, there's no rituals to it. You don't have to put your bed at a certain angle or facing north or any of that. What is happening is, is and we do it every night, we're just not aware of it. That's why you can relate to the different types of sounds and things that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. What happens is, is that when we fall asleep every night, our our consciousness gradually begins to ignore the information that the five senses is, are is sending to it. Sound, sight, smell, touch, and all those. When you get to the point where the consciousness is no longer monitoring the five senses, that's when you get to the altered state of consciousness. And that altered state of consciousness is the, the oh, that's when the door opens to super consciousness. So what you want to do is you want to be able to um, induce this. And when you induce this, that means just try to duplicate what happens naturally. So the first thing is is that when you fall asleep, you lay perfectly still. The second thing that happens is that you begin to relax your muscles. The third thing that happens is your breathing becomes very systematic and, and, and very deep. And that's what you want to do. So... First thing you do, lay perfectly still. Get all the scratching out of the way. Don't, you know, all the itching and everything you're going to do. Lay comfortable. It's very important because you, 
you're go, your body's not going to be moving. It's not like tossing and turning in and having an out-of-body experience. The reason your body tosses and turns is because the soul consciousness is still occupying the body. When you have an out-of-body experience, the body doesn't move anymore. It's mm-hmm. just a bit, it's like a pair of clothing without you in them anymore. It will lay there until you put it back on. Does it breathe? Yes, it does breathe because that's that's an automatic uh, um, biological uh, uh, response. That's something it just does automatically by itself. Oh, good. And you don't you don't have to think about breathing. You just do. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing you want to get all that out of the way. Now, you there's several ways of relaxing the body, relaxing the muscles, tightening them up, tensing them, holding it for a few moments, then relaxing them, and then uh, and visualizing. And the in, in energy or tension in the muscles kind of melting down into the bed. This is one way. There are many, many others, and I list a few of them in my book, but the one that I find I find works very, very well, and not just for me, for other people, is the tightening the muscles and the relaxing the muscles. You want to do this systematically, so you have to work on your feet and start moving up the body and try to, to uh, visualize, uh, try to do that and include every muscle in your body. Uh, and then if you miss some, go back over the, your body, scan back down, and tighten the muscles in the arms and the abdomen and everything until you get to that point where you'll feel heavier. You'll feel the weight of the body because when you're in a relaxed state, the body becomes very, very um, dense or feels dense. Mm. When you, and then most people... Before you accomplish, you even finish this one Passover of this, most people fall asleep. Well, that's okay because that's what you're trying to do is duplicate that. The thing about it is that I found is that the, one of the ways to keep from falling asleep is to go to bed early, maybe about 9 o'clock, set your alarm clock for about 1 o'clock in the morning. So you want to sleep about 4 to 5 hours. Then wake up. You have to get up out of the bed for a few minutes and walk around. Don't drink, eat, eat or drink. You can drink water maybe. Then go back to bed and now perform the relaxation routine. So what happens is for some odd reason, when you interrupt the sleep pattern, the consciousness doesn't readily fall asleep the second time around with the body like it does the first time around. The first time you're going to drift into a heavy REM sleep. But the second time after 1 o'clock, maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, the body will fall asleep, but the consciousness will stay alert. And that's when most people find themselves in that paralysis state, because that's what it is. If you go to bed in the early, like about 10, normally, without setting your alarm, most people who experience paralysis experience it after waking up into it between 1 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. But now, what we're doing is we're planning this experience. So that's what you want to do if you fall asleep, if you, if you can't do it initially. Some people are very, very gifted and are capable of doing it initially. But for, for those of us like me who aren't, who end up falling asleep, the interrupted technique seems to work or, and help us. Okay. So that's what you want to do. And then systematically lay there and go through every muscle in your body until your body falls asleep. And your body will fall asleep. No matter how you try to keep it awake, it will fall asleep. It's kind of like if you've ever been in a car and you've driven for a long, long distance and you're tired and no matter how you're trying to stay awake, you feel sleepy, no matter how you try to stay awake, for that brief second, your body nods out, 
You've had everybody that's experienced that. Hopefully you wake back up. <laughs> but everybody has experienced that no matter how hard you try. And sometimes you have to roll down the windows because your body for that instant is it nods out. Well, that's what you're trying to do is get to that state. But now you're in a safe place. You're, you're in your bed, and you don't have to worry about that. So all you want to do is keep the conscious, uh, consciousness around for a brief period of time to allow enough time for the physical body to fall asleep. And once the physical body falls asleep, then all, your, all the information you get, you're getting from your five senses is interrupted. And now your consciousness turns to that other part of it, that super conscious level, where it's capable of not only moving a, the doppelganger astral body, if you want to call it, out of the physical body, but it's also capable of perceiving non-physical realities and beings in those realities. Wow. That's it in a nutshell. That's, that's, that's not hard to say it in a nutshell, but that's kind of it. But I go into, and I want to experiment because there's no one way of doing this. There's a lot of different ways. And I list about five different ways. Not every way is going to work for everyone, but there's, and that's what I say, you know, try a bunch of them until you find one that kind of works for you. And even when you find one that works for you, feel free to modify it, modify it accordingly. Okay, so it's not set in stone, it's about what works for you. Exactly. Um, Soul Traveler is the book, right? Soul Traveler? Mm-hmm, it's in there. What's it's your in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. What's your website? It's uh, www.albertaylor.com. Okay, good, that's easy, albertaylor.com. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put uh, <coughs> put this out there. Um, if you're listening and you're not on our e-news uh, subscription list yet, get on it. If you want to take part in this, what I'm going to do is I will um, send out your website and uh, the name of your book and you know a link to this show and the previous show, and uh, we'll set something up where we actually put it out there. Like, okay, on this day, we're all going to whoever wants to participate in this experiment, we're going to do this, and we'll meet, you know, there and see you there. <laughs> yeah, okay, can I like to add one more thing? Yes, to that. please do. The real important thing to do for everyone is to immediately after returning and waking up to write it all down. Oh. That's really important because you'd be surprised how many people, how many experiences will match when you write it down. And a lot of people tell me, oh, I'll remember. Well, the thing is, is that you will remember, but the emotional impact the experience had on you will fade away. And you want to capture that in what you write down. So it's important to write it down immediately after waking up after the experience. And hopefully they'll write it down in an email and send it to us. And, that would be uh, fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah. I would love that. And then we can post it up. I would love and, that. Uh, so will you join us? Definitely. Okay. Definitely. <laughs> I look forward to experimenting with that. The more the merrier. This sounds like fun. <laughs> it, it is. It is the most fun you could ever, ever, ever have. Well, I Ever. hope so. <laughs> it is. I've done a lot of funny things, you know, but uh, uh, I can see, I can see, you know, that's the, what I've got to ask you. I know that already this is just whooshed by, and I've got a million things, so we've got to have you back again. But I've got to ask this, like, where did you get to a point where you kind of went, well, I'm bored, you know, this kind of... Uh, I have what the, the way you made the decision to go off planet? That, that happened by accident. I was, oh, really? It, you know, the physical off planet. Yes, okay. Because I'm an engineer scientist. I'm in the. I was in the space program. Yes, I want to see what the moon looks like. I want to see what space. That was the physical thing I wanted to do. 
But the non-physical stuff is something that as you become more experienced in this, what happens is your consciousness is evolving. And as your consciousness evolves, all of a sudden you have access to non-physical realms. Some of us have access already. But as you become more uh, acquainted with it and more experienced and the fear is diminished, all of a sudden you realize you have access. So that access first started off with me encountering my aunt who had died 10 years before. And then from that point on, when I, when I, I, immediately when I saw her, I didn't believe in ghosts and dead people and all that, but I had to admit that this person, to me, appears to be my aunt. And then when I had that emotional inter- interaction with her where we were exchanging information, it not only did I sense and, and how she was feeling and everything, but it stayed with me. It didn't go away where it removed the fear of death completely because I realized from my interaction with her is, oh, my God, I'm just like her except one thing. I have a physical body to go back to. Wow. See, that's what. this is why I'm interested in getting the remote viewers involved in the experiment because what you're talking about, like like this open search outward is sort of the equivalent term that we talk about doing in our sessions, but it's so different because it's not like I know what I'm looking at in a session. I'm decoding waveform right. data, but I'm right. I don't I don't go oh there's Bob and he's you know dead <laughs> and, and we're talking. Right. You know it's not clear like that. Well, people always ask me what is the difference between remote viewing and having an out of body experience, and I always tell them remote viewing is like watching a football game on television, and out of body experience is like being the quarterback on the field. Oh, yeah, see, that makes there. sense to me. That makes sense to me. You're yeah. interacting. You're there. Mm-hmm. And, and remote viewing is gathering data. It's like being a camera up in the, in the corner of the room observing something. Yeah. And that's okay, too, because that's just another talent of the soul. And it's, it's but decoding. interaction through. is fun. Yeah. Well, and, and you don't necessarily ever want to know, because like, you don't want to be front-loading with analytical overlay in the conscious mind is a huge battle for remote viewing. So it's not even like being a camera. It's like you're decoding right. things and you don't even know what it is. So it's, right. it's less real in that sense. So I'm right. really intrigued to see what we can do here. And and I think that's just, you know, remote viewing is a talent of the soul. The out-of-body experience is you traveling in your soul. That's what your soul would do if you died. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. Mm-hmm. You're going to be doing that. And again, so it, you know, it, it, you know and matter of fact, when you're having an out of body experience, that's as dead as you're ever going to get. That's it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, sounds like fun. Woo, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the ultimate experience. Wow. I, I, you uh, know, there's nothing I, to compare to it. I can. I. I believe it. Having experienced that initial pulling, roaring thing, you know, it was so real and so intense, and this is the thing, I always heard other people talking about out-of-body experience and sort of their visualizing floating up, and, you know, they're visualizing, mm-hmm. it wasn't, it, people I've talked to about this before, they weren't talking about what you're talking about and what I felt. Yeah, visualization is very different. Very, yeah. This yeah. is a physical... And it's like, you know, um, people are asking, you know, I hear about meditation, uh, in the Western world, we aren't that uh, aware of what real meditation is. And I hear people out here all the time because I belong to one of the oldest metaphysical research facilities in Southern California. And I hear, I sit in and listen to other instructors teach meditation. And what they are really teaching is visualization. Mm -hmm. Meditation is something very, very different. When you meditate, 
you're blocking out the information that the five senses gives you. And when that happens, you won't say, oh, yeah, I saw a lady and a woman, and that's visualization, and I was walking down a path in the forest, and that's visualization, you know? That's mm -hmm. not profound. That's okay. Meditation, you go, oh, oh my God. I experienced, you, you just go, oh, my God, what was that? Because you get this surge of everything, power, knowledge, being, understanding, consciousness, everything is just, it, it kicks you into a whole new realm that is so incredibly powerful. When you come back from the meditation, you're different. Hmm. You're different because the experience changes you because it's so incredibly intense. Wow. Visualization is not like that. No, no. You know, they talk about quieting the mind and relaxing a bit, but that's that's not what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no. You have to empty the mind. It has to be, it has to not focus on anything, really. You can focus on maybe one thing. It has to be simplified, but you can't visualize. And visualize is okay uh, in one regard, because sometimes visualization can allow you to uh, allow the body to relax and fall asleep. But ultimately, you don't want to visualize because right when you're just about to fall asleep normally, you're not visualizing. You're not doing anything. You're just about to transition, and that's what you want to do is to transition from the waking state and all the information we're being bombarded with to an inner state which only perceives what it wants to perceive. You know, on that note, before we close this up, and, and I put this you know, uh, challenge out there in our e-news, we should actually recap on, on so that they know what to expect. So, you know, like if they do hear the roaring or mm -hmm. some of the things that can sort of throw people off and put them into fear a little bit, uh, maybe just kind of recapping what they can expect and how they get through it. Okay, I like to call these road signs that let you know you're headed in the right direction. Okay. Well, the first thing you experience is you may feel a heaviness to your physical body. The second thing you may experience is uh, you feel like you can't breathe or you feel like you're having some breathing problems. And it's nothing to be alarmed at. What is happening is you're releasing control of the breath, the physical body, and you're transitioning to another state. And, and that's hard for people to do because we're conditioned to force ourselves to breathe and to be in control of breath. Yeah. So you may feel that. It depends. The slower you go, through the transitioning from fully awake to the super-conscious level of the out-of-body experience, the slower you go, the more things you're going to experience. The next thing you might experience is you may feel a vibration, like your body is trembling. And it's not like uh, a shaking. It's more like an oscillation. It's, it's really almost something that you would think you could put an oscilloscope on and measure. It's a vibration. You'll feel that. The next thing you may experience after that is you may uh, perceive and think you hear different types of noises. And these noises are going to be at extreme volume, very, very loud. Like you may hear a loud buzzing. You may hear a loud roaring. I mean, extremely loud. Uh, after that, um, you may feel paralyzed, like you cannot move your physical body. You may feel like you are no longer in control of your body, which is a good thing. Because to, ex to exit the body and to levitate out of the body or float out of the body, you don't want to feel the physical body anymore. You've, but the thing is, is once you get to that state, 
if you don't know any better, you don't know that you have another body that you control, a non-physical body, a subtle body, an astral body. So if you do know that, and that's why I put it in my book, and that's why I'm sharing this with you now, if you find yourself in that paralyzed state, realize you have something else. And that other body, it functions on thought alone, not electrical signals coming from the brain, stimulating muscles, causing them to contract. It operates on thought. So if you want to move your simulated hand, because it's not really a hand, but it feels like one, if you want to move that, all you have to do is think it or say, I want. If you want to float upward, all you have to do is say, I want to float upward. A lot of times when you get in that state, you can't see everything. On NBC 1190. Hello, everybody. Welcome to News for the Soul. This is Daniel Brinkley. Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our heart and open up our souls, and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. Here's what it is, and thank goodness that I love every part of it except packing. 
funny how it works, how it's just never what we may have figured initially. Now, you were originally a, a regular, everyday chiropractor. I was your regular, everyday chiropractor, as you put it. Um, I was actually quite a good chiropractor, I must say. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, things got a little... Now, you're going to have to excuse me because... I will cough a couple times in this program. Being such a healer, doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Um, somehow or other, with the travels last time back and forth from Las Vegas, it seems that um, a group of us picked ourselves up a little cough in the office and we're passing it around just to remind ourselves how human we really are. I was going to say that is ironic considering the business you're now in. Well, you know, it is and it isn't, but, and although we're nowhere near this type of question yet in, in the interview with so early on, it's a very important concept for people to understand because most people will say to me, well, gee, I suppose that, you know, you're never under the weather or anything. And, and I go, no, I'm not anywhere, you know, like I used to be. You know, if, if something comes up, it's once every couple of years. It'll last for a couple of days or so, and it'll go away. But um, the point is, we do have to remind ourselves that we are humans. You know, we are a spirit going through our human experience, I should say. And part of our human experience is learning how to take care of this physical human experience body. When do we overtax it? When don't we overtax it? How do we take care of ourselves? How do we get healthy again? And if we didn't need to be experiencing these lessons, then we wouldn't need to be in human form to begin with. Well, there's so many different, I mean, that, that in itself, we could do a whole show on that one statement because, I mean, there's so many different belief systems and takes and different perspectives on that one issue. Like in Native American tradition, you know, I went to a sweat lodge and I was complaining about, you know, when I got sick and they said, you know, we don't get sick, we get well. We're we're purging out stuff, so they see it in a whole different way in that community and many other. Well, they're purging out stuff, but they're also seeing that they've taken stuff on and they're purging it. Mm-hmm. In other words, they're still acknowledging the fact that we do take things on and we find our different ways, such as sweat lodges, um, spirit meditation. Um, some people, their trip is medication, you know, whatever. But we learn our different ways to take care of our bodies and we learn to evolve beyond it. But I don't think anyone really tends to completely deny the human body except for a few people who claim to be breatharians. But that's a whole other issue. <laughs> and, and how do they keep their teeth clean? Definitely another show. <laughs> right. So why don't we start at the beginning before we get off into different conversations here. And where does your story start? Well, I was a chiropractor um, <clears throat> somewhere in my... Hmm? Sorry, I was clearing my throat. I'm going to need a healing session at the end of the show here. <laughs> yeah, we are. Well, you, you let us know. We all take that deep pause, and we will. Um, and somewhere in my 12th year of practice, a few um, unusual things seemed to occur. Uh, I ended a relationship that I thought was my lifetime relationship. I uh, ended up restructuring my office very rapidly around that same time. And um, the next thing I knew, a, a person who had come to work for me took me off to the beach, decided she she decided I needed a day off. And while we were there, we found some woman reading cards. And the person I was with insisted I let her read my cards. And she explained in my reading that there was some kind of work that I needed to have happen. And uh, as I sort of let go and allowed that work to happen on a given session, um, the next thing I know is that I woke up in the middle of the night. I felt people in my home. And that Monday before, when I went back into work, seven of my patients told me that they felt people in the room with us, touching them, walking around the room, running around in the room. No one had said that to me before. 
other patients told me they could feel my hands, um, so I would sort of test it. I'd say, well, all right, you know, close your eyes, and I'd hold my hands near certain places in their body, and they could feel it. And my palms then blistered a couple of times and actually bled once, not like a stigmata, but you know more as if you accidentally stick your palm with a, a little pin or a needle, that little bit of blood that comes out, you know, not really enough to go anywhere, but there it is. And soon patients are seeing colors they've never seen before and seeing people right there in the room with us. I didn't see anyone, but but they were seeing the same people and being spoken to them with giving the same unusual names that we've never heard of. You know, I'm not talking like Michael or Ariel. I'm talking unusual names. And um, just within a little bit after that, a patient came in um, with a birth-deformed twisted leg. Um, He was referred in because the way he had to walk from his birth deformity, it, it hurt his back. He was 26 years old. He hobbled into the room. I adjusted his neck. I held my hands by him, and the birth deformed leg started to move on its own. It rotated itself out into a normal position, and he was able to stand up six feet tall with two independent legs for his first time in 26 years, and that's when we realized that the world was spinning a whole new way in my office. Okay. So, but otherwise, I could sort of come <laughs> down and try to sound normal. But it, it, it's almost a little late. I used to be. And don't think for a moment that I don't hear how odd what I'm talking to you about sounds. Because, you know, as people started having these healings, they would say to me, well, what did you do? And I'd say, nothing and don't tell anyone. And of course, that went over about as big as Nancy Reagan's Just They Know the Drug Policy. And people started coming in from everywhere going, I'll have what she had. And, and then... My practice sort of shifted towards this because so many people wanted it that I found that um, I had to give the chiropractic practice away, and there I was about 10 hours a day, six days a week in my office during this work, and then I thought, well, that was what this was supposed to be, except people started asking me to teach it, and I said, there's no way to teach this. I don't know what I'm doing. How in the world can you teach something like this? But so many people after their sessions, would call later in the evening to say that when they got home, their lamp or computer or television or stereo would turn itself on and off and on and off multiple times, and they'd feel something in their hands. They'd hold it by someone in their family, and the grandmother with the drop foot could walk again, and the grandfather with the stroke regained their speech. And we realized that on some level, this seemed to be um, transmissible, I don't know what word to use, um, to others once they came into contact with it. Now, it's not something that you could sit home and ohm in in a corner, and it's not something that your Uncle Joseph was doing 40 years ago, but it's something that once you actually come into contact with it, according to the researchers, you can carry it. So as word got out about people suddenly becoming healers and healers suddenly becoming grand healers, when they would interact with this work, the University of Arizona and some other hospitals and universities started doing some research with me to find out what this is. And it's the people in research who started to tell me the strangest thing, that they felt that these were a new set of frequencies, of healing frequencies here on the planet. Now, not new as if they've never existed. They're old, of course, because they're of the universe. But they're new because they have not been here on Earth before. The reason they gave had to do with this shift of time that we're going through. 
you want me to keep going? On or shall that I note, stop now and you can check <laughs> right off the show? I have approximately one million questions for you. I'm sure I won't get all of those in, but we do have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask a few questions, like beginning with who were these people in your house? Okay. But don't answer now. We've got to take a quick break. Uh, if you've just tuned in, this is News for the Soul. We're talking to Dr. Eric Pearl for the full hour. And you can find him online at bbconnection.com. We'll be back in one minute with more news for your soul. Did you know that News for the Soul is home to the largest totally free life-changing audio resource on the World Wide Web? And did you know that journalist and single mom Nicole Whitney is single-handedly making this freely available for you to hear? That's why your support is critical to help keep News for the Soul totally free. You can help in several ways. Firstly, you can tell everyone you know about News for the Soul. So many people out there still do not know about this totally free, life-changing resource. So do us, yourself, and your friends a favor and pass it on today. Secondly, financial support for News for the Soul helps keep the show going, whether it's through advertising, donations, or purchases of our exclusive audio and video packages, like the one and only Spoon Bending Kit, which will teach you how to bend metal with your mind for real. This support helps keep us on the air. Go to newsforthesoul.com now to find out more. We invite you to help us help the world, and thanks for tuning in. It's listeners like you who have made News for the Soul the number one life-changing talk radio show in the world, According to Google and AOL, together we are already making a difference in our world. So thank you for listening, and thanks in advance for your support. Now, let's get back to the show. Hear all of our previously aired broadcasts of News for the Soul online at newsforthesoul.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, this is Dave Morehouse, and you're listening to News for the Soul. And we're back with Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained, and we definitely have all that going on. My guest guest tonight is Dr. Eric Pearl. TheReconnection.com is his website, and uh, yeah, we're full on into the story now. So (laughs) before the break, you were saying that you have basically a life-changing process going on, which led to beings being in your house. And so uh, can we back up to that point to, to find out what beings or people or things that you sensed were Well, we house? could. How, how, about, how, about, how about if we tie together where we left off just a little bit, and then we'll shoot into that. Okay. Which was the researchers, of all people, were saying that these healing frequencies hadn't been here on the planet before. And I'm saying, well, how could could you say something so woo-woo sounding, you know, while you're wearing those tight little white shirts with black ties? And they explained two things. They said if you understand two concepts and overlay them, they'll begin to make sense. So the first concept is, of course, that time is moving faster, and and I'm sure your audience is well aware of that, correct? Mm -hmm. And although the terminology we use, we say that time is moving faster, it's not really as accurate as the concept they're trying to explain because it's not that it's moving faster it's actually opening up there's more to the dimension of it than just speed so time is actually expanding and it's been spoken about by of course the mayans the incas nostradamus course in miracles talks about it greg brayton refers to it as shift of the ages this is a change that's been, you know, predicted and brought about and seems to be happening in time around right now, maybe starting in the late 80s and moving at least expectedly into about 2012. So that's concept one. 
concept two is we were all raised being told that we were that we're three-dimensional beings, correct? Mm-hmm. That was the story. <laughs> well, see, you're so you're so guarded. You're careful not to commit. We were raised that way, and science has always said that until the year um, 1999, when science said we are 3D plus. That lasted for one year, and in the year 2000, science formally acknowledged that we are not three-dimensional beings. We're four-dimensional beings. Um, we didn't grow a new dimension. We finally recognized that what Einstein and others had been saying was correct. Height, width, and time are three dimensions. I mean, height, width, and depth are three dimensions. The fourth dimension is time. So all along, we've been four-dimensional beings. So if we look at these two concepts, let's make our little playground in this giant multi-dimensional universe. We'll make it our little four, you know, four-dimensional playground that we exist in one side of our playground begins to expand, the time side. That means the capacity for what our, is able to fit into our playground expands with that, and we can accept more. What we have been able to have so far has been energy healing, the term energy healing. And we've had just fractions of it or little subsets of it. And we've named many of them, Reiki and Jinshin and Jirei, Shigong, Mahjong, Beijing, all the other little ones. And these have been subsets of a subset of healing, parts of energy healing. But as our playgrounds expanded, we suddenly found that we were, A, receiving the rest of the energy healing continuum. As the surprise came with that, we found that energy healing wasn't the whole thing. But it was just a subset. It's actually healing is comprised of energy, light, and information. So the new reconnective healing frequencies are the spectrum of energy, all of it now, instead of just the parts that we've had, plus light, plus information. In other words, whether you've studied Reiki, whether you're a grandmaster in Qigong, or whether you've never studied any healing technique, the moment you begin to carry the reconnective healing frequencies, you carry all of those techniques, studied or not, plus everything that's been missing in between, and that seems to explain the dramatic healings that has um, caught the eye of um, hospitals and universities in this work that's going on. I mean, they just really, I just finally agreed to put a book out about it a couple years ago, and it's already in its 10th language. We've trained close to 20,000 practitioners around the world, maybe 20% or so, are doctors and nurses, so this is being done in hospitals and universities. Another 20% or so are people who wanted to move beyond the healing techniques, such as the ones I've mentioned and others, into a mastery level of healer, but the other, say, 60% are people who never would have looked at something like this until it became so palpable and dramatic and reproducible and clear on the planet. Okay. So now the reconnective energies, this is what you connected with through these people Mm -hmm. that you connected with somehow. Okay. We're not exactly sure how I did it, but the theory sounds good. Yeah, I'm with you. (laughs) Because I'm trying to understand how to pull this together and how this this came about from, you know, uh, how you connected with it in the first place. Okay. I I can help a little on that. Okay, good. The, um, The reader that I was introduced to who suggested that I do some work explained the work that she was going to do. It was strange, though, because no one who had received this work from her before or after had this response, but the theory behind the work is that at a certain point in time, 
we became disconnected from our fullness and our relationship with the universe. She referenced that timing to be around the Garden of Eden, which sounded a little religious for my taste. Excuse me, sounded a little religious for my taste. Yet, in looking through things, I realized that, you know, if we look back, most every culture and religion does speak of a time when humanity seems to have, on one level or another, separated from their original fullness in the universe. And that's part of our development and our evolution to come back to uh, reattain that level. So what she explained was, at that time that we separated, the universe continued to expand at the rate that it had been. We, of course, continued to grow and evolve also, just not at the rate we were when we were all hooked up, I guess, more in unison. What did occur, though, is we evolved sufficiently coming to this period in time where we are able to rejoin that fullness. And the way that it's happening is slowly over generations, this process is beginning to occur for us right now. Or, she went on to explain, she could tie us back into that system by hooking us back into some kind of what she referred to as new axiotonal lines, sort of the difference between a slow evolution by hooking your computer up to telephones or locking into a huge spiritual DSL, you know, and there you are. So I thought, well, that sounds interesting. How much do you want for the work? She said $333, and I said, no, thank you, because I could think of lots of things to do with $333, and giving them to some gypsy on the beach wasn't on my list. But um, she scribbled something down on a piece of paper, said you can read about this in a book called The Book of Knowledge, The Keys of um, Enoch, and this is by J.J. Hertuck. She said it's in Chapter 317. It's only eight little pages. I said, thanks. I left, having no intention of looking at that again, but I kept thinking about it. I wandered into a little bookstore and tried to pick up this book, and let me tell you, if you've ever read a book that just doesn't seem to make sense, and then when it does, it doesn't again, this is the one. I read the eight pages upside down and sideways. It almost felt as if it was making my brain shift around trying to figure it out. I went back to the store a couple of times. I finally agreed to let the woman do the work because I just couldn't take trying to understand it any longer. And it was... After the first session, when I thanked her very much, because it was a two-session um, procedure that she would do, after the first session, I thanked her very much. I left. I felt so silly because absolutely nothing had happened. But that night, after I'd gone to sleep, the lamp next to my bed, she's the one that's right here looking at me now, turned itself on, and I, and I had never done that before. I've had the lamp for 10 years and hadn't selected any other uh, propitious occasion to self-ignite. just popped itself on, and simultaneously when I woke up, I knew, I don't know how to explain this, but someone was in my home, and I can't tell you how uncomfortable a feeling that is. Let's just say I got up with a knife, a can of pepper spray, and my Doberman pincher and went hunting. I didn't find anyone that night. I went into work the next day, and that's when the people started telling me that they felt other people in the room with us. So what I do know, and I can tell you more if you really want to hear it, is that there are people that are not on this dimension that we don't see physically. What I don't know exactly is who they are. What I believe is that this is the next level of our evolution as humanity to come into our fullness, and they are there simply to encourage and support us in the path that our, we are to take, our journey towards our next level of evolution, just as... Our thanks will not be towards them, but it will be to help and smile and support the next generation of humanity into this evolution. Well, that was going to be my, my big question, I guess, is 
well, how you connected that to the event the next day with the, the healings beginning, but also to know the intent. I don't know how I know certain things, and um, and and this is a. A difficult, it's a tricky issue specifically for someone like me because I've always been and still am in many ways um, a strong type A personality. If I had an opinion, you didn't get out of the room unless you shared it or pretended to share it and did a real good job at pretending. Suddenly, here's something I don't understand, I can't explain, and I'm not even compelled to have to understand it, yet I'm fascinated in the exploration. Somehow or other, I'm asked questions about it. I seem to have the answer. I never liked that expression, oh, you know the answer, go inside and find the answer. I go, garbage, you tell me the answer. I don't want to go inside. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not your typical spiritual person you may be picking up by now. <laughs> but just the same, when I'm asked questions about this work, somehow, somewhere, I seem to have the answer. I don't feel taken over. I just seem to know the answer and my life is so fascinating I wouldn't trade it for a thing well, on that note uh, we do have to take another quick break here but let's dive into a little more of what this means well, let's do this before you break or after you break what we really do want to make sure that we focus on because we've been talking about the background story what I want the point to come across uh, to be understood is that once you learn once you interact with this there isn't one thing that I'm doing that you can't do as well if not even better and that's the biggest thing I don't want to leave without your people understanding that there's a huge new reality and it can be owned by each and every one no matter what they own so far okay or don't we will get to that right after this break good point this is news for the soul our guest Dr. Eric Pearl find him on the web at reconnection.com he's going to be in your area area on February 11th, so go there to get that information. We'll be right back with more on this result. Visit newsforthesoul.com anytime to hear all of our shows, read positive news, and interact with like-minded people from around the world. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplift the unexplained, here with our guest today, Dr. Eric Pearl, and his story of, well, kind of a spiritual awakening, isn't it? I would say. <laughs> of sorts, I would say so. And subsequent healing occasions in your office, and then that leads to this teaching of the reconnection. So should we go there? Okay. Well, um... As I explained earlier, people would say teach it, and I said that I didn't think we could, but somehow or other, once people would interact with it, they would begin to carry it. So one of the first research programs I was requested to um, interact with was at the University of Arizona, where they took a large group of people in Tucson, and um, Gary Schwartz, you may be familiar with over there, um, did measurements with these people, brain waves, heart waves, skin conduction, altering the energy around the fields, all these different scientific things I'm not fully familiar with. And then um, had me come out. I gave a seminar pretty much like the one that um, we'll be doing in a couple of weeks, left, and they re-measured people, and boy, were there some changes. 
what happens really is on um and just to let your people know, by the way, that the Friday night portion of the seminar, the one that's on the 11th, is usually a $39 charge. Your listeners won't be charged as long as they mention that they heard it on your show. They can certainly come. They can bring their friends, too. No charge, but they do have to mention they heard it on your show. Otherwise, there will be a cover for that. And it's always best if they call the 800 number and register first to make sure we have room for them. We don't want to have to turn anyone away, and if we have your name, we know we can guarantee you a space. But anyway, what we'll... I'm just, hmm? uh, I'm just on your website now, 888-ERIC-PEARL. Uh, 888-ERIC-PEARL, Pearl, P-E-A-R-L. There's actually, uh, numerically, it's 888-374-2732, but of course, if you figure out that Eric Pearl is two extra letters, it really spells Eric P, so we don't tell anyone that. Okay. But um, anyhow, what happens on Friday evening is we um, tell the, the, the basis of the story, the background of it. We talk about the research, and we bring volunteers up from the audience to demonstrate the healings because, you, you know, it's easy to talk. Let's see it. Once you see something and you're seeing lies your knowingness that it's taken place, and in that knowingness, after you've seen it, that's what gives us the ability to obtain mastery because we recognize how real it is. So we do demonstrations of the healings on people Friday evening so they can see what that is and, of course, Q&A and other things. For people who want to actually learn to do the work, they can register for the full weekend seminar, which continues Saturday and Sunday from about, oh, I guess about 9.30 or so till 6, Saturday and Sunday. And what we'll do is we have approximately one massage table for every four people so I can demonstrate in front of the room and then go down on the floor and work with everyone to help adjust their hands, to show them how to maximize things, to help them feel things that they thought they couldn't and demonstrate things in different ways. Then we review what we did. We come back up, we demonstrate the next level, we go down on the table and work again. And I do have to tell you, the word is work because this is a mastery that you will be able to attain in one weekend. Therefore, um, don't come if you think that we're all going to hold hands and om and sing Kumbaya, my Lord, because that's not who we are. If you want to come and learn to do some work, then you hold yourself to the bar of a student, and that's what we all honor in moving forward, and you will be forever changed. What can people expect to happen during this weekend? It's it's not... What I don't want people to do is come in for healings. This is... To come, I mean, there are seminars you can go to if you want to just come in for a healing. This is for people to come in to become healing facilitators, to become the healer to help others have healings. So initially, they'll begin to carry and feel these frequencies. Almost everyone does. I would say if, I would say if out of the 20,000 or so people we've interacted with, if, if 15 of them maybe over the past so many years didn't notice a feeling, that would be a lot. In the feeling, they're able to then also move their hands a certain way and see how they can correlate what they feel with the physical movements that start to happen on people's bodies, in their faces, in their breathing, in the, in the involuntary movements of their feet and legs and stomach. And you begin to be, correlate, I'm aware of this feeling as I see this change in this other person. And it's in that correlation, it's like refining learning how to drive. It's like asking, what are you going to learn when you learn how to drive? Well, from the outside, you know that you're going to learn how to turn something on, 
push something with your foot and this car is going to move. But what you're learning really is how to observe and correlate. As I see the trees move by me at this speed and I see I'm not getting closer, I'm not going further from a vehicle or a curb, you learn to master that ride. Here you learn a mastery of the use of bringing someone into an optimal space that allows for a healing. And this is an important concept because it's not, I'm not saying that what you're going to learn to do from this is to simply say, oh, okay, well, you've got a liver problem. I'm going to come in and hold my hands over your liver and you're going to have a healing. That's not what healing, I feel, in its highest level is about. I think that is, that is symptoms or that is pain or that is disease process work. But what happens with this work is you, your responsibility is to simply become a part of the process, to step in, to feel, to observe, to maximize, to optimize, and then the healing that is most appropriate for that person on their life path is the healing they'll receive. In other words, three different people can come in with the same diagnosis, the same set of results, and might walk away, not that you're treating them for anything, and might walk away with three different sets of results because something different is appropriate for another person. One might have the healing they came in intending. One might not experience anything that they're aware of for a while or at all. Another person might have a completely different healing, yet the one that they thought they wanted might not be the one to appear. We need to learn and understand that the optimal position of perfection for us is to recognize that the honor is being allowed to be in this process and the beauty is watching the intelligence of each flower, of each healing unfold before our eyes and knowing that it's perfectly right whether or not it lines up with what our preconceived ideas were. What's your theory on what this is specifically, this reconnection energy? Like what's the difference like between this and other healing energies? And well, in one sense it's easy to say, gee, everything's the same. I mean, it's all love, it's all the same. And in a sense, that's accurate. I mean, this is God, love, universe. Pick the word that you're happiest with. I don't care which word you use. What is so unique about it, I believe, what is the, as best as I understand what makes these results so strong, so palpable, so demonstrable in research labs and consistently, is that it's a new newly accessible level of that God, love, or universe that we are evolving into being able to accept, recognize, and interact with that we hadn't been before. So many people think of healings as, you know, as getting rid of this symptom or this disease or this pain. But you see, what is healing really? I don't believe that's what it is. I believe that that's the sizzle that attracts us in. It's sort of like walking by a Mrs. Fields cookies and they waft out those wonderful cookies and you smell them and you go into the store, but you find that there's more than just cookies. I think we are drawn in, universally attracted to the concept of healings, no matter our sex, our religious background, or anything else. Yet what's really occurring is an evolution of our DNA, of who we are. And I, at first I swore I'd never say it, and I did, and I swore I never put it in print, and I did, and here it is. But I believe that what's happening is we're attracted by the sense of it, by the, the idea, but it's our DNA that's being restructured, which is allowing us to unfold and exist in a more multidimensional level, which, of course, can't help 
but bring about that that huge, wonderful, expanded level of health. It can't help but allow us to vibrate on a light vibration that allows anything less than light, denser than light, to fall away from us to be healthy. I just don't believe that as many people would come in for this work if we hung out a shingle and said, come get your DNA reconnected here. So is that the process that you had done, DNA? What I had done was a, was a, a sort of a more mechanical, on-the-body version of what that woman called bringing in these axiotonal lines. And after I had it done, you know, I called her about my lamp turning itself on, and she didn't quite understand. And then I called her, you know, when the blistering and the bleeding happened. And pretty soon um, she was without answers. So she turned me on to the woman who taught her, who taught everyone how to do it. And they pretty much said that it was as if no one had had this response before. It was as if what the original work was was a key Someone had created a key, made duplicates, and all the people they taught and said, keep trying it until a door opens, which made me little more than a door, but it was what happened, what came through afterwards, that now everyone can interact with without having to go through that kind of work or process. Now it's almost an instantaneous form of an interaction. J.J. Hertog, who um, talks about this work, the reconnection work that we're doing now, speaks of what, in his book, uh, The Book of Knowledge, The Keys of Enoch, he has explained in theory and what he says in Reconnective Healing, in the reconnection work that we're doing now, that's the actual practical, where it's come in to, in a sense, the physical to help us now move forward in humanity. In what way is this energy being uh, passed on? Like, what level of interaction is it? at the seminars during the energy work with you? Is it like, are we exchanging it now, talking on the phone? Is it you have to exchange it now. It's on, it's on so many levels. Just by virtue, I'm sure you'll get calls from people who are just listening to the show who are feeling changes take place in their bodies, and you'll probably get calls from people who have sat there and suddenly found that they've regained the use of a hand or a foot or a limb or something. On many levels this occurs. You will begin to pick this up and carry it really just from reading the book, although I can't understand how. I'm sure I didn't, you know, walk through the, the printers and wave my hands in the air over the ink or anything strange. But you begin just from the understanding of it from reading the book. Of course, from listening and from observing it, and then from having more interaction with it as you work with a practitioner, you'll carry it more. And the more you begin to, the more you carry it, the more your awareness of it raises, the more you actually learn how to utilize it, which probably has such a great deal to do with the fact that why after attending the seminar, people carry it so well. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot to be said for simply, shall we say, steeping in these frequencies for two and a half days. So what do people do with that when they leave? They become reconnective healing practitioners. You become able to facilitate healings for others. And notice how clearly I'm stating this, that there's no room for misinterpretation. You do not, you, you miss the whole point of this conversation, someone, if they call me afterwards and said they want a session, a healing session with me. Don't bother. The fact is, there are already practitioners in the Phoenix and the Tucson area. And once you carry these frequencies, you do it as well 
as I can. You just Google up the reconnection anywhere and, and throw in your nearby city or come to the website and look for practitioners there. You'll find who's working in your area. There's some amazing people and, and some of them who work with animals. Renee Colson is one of our practitioners and she has a huge practice with horses and other animals out in your region too because animals are the same as people in fur coats and love is love and life is life and healing is healing. So the people that you're training, they're going out and doing sessions for people, or are they On training? their own. This is, a, this is what I believe is the new healing profession, the new non-medical healing profession. Once you've learned, you learn to do this work, hopefully you recognize that it's your calling. You choose to touch as many people as possible. And for many, this becomes your new profession. You go forth and prosper. Okay, uh, so again, that uh, date for the info night, um, the first seminar night of the uh, Eric Pearl seminar coming to Phoenix, Arizona, February 11th, um, 888-ERIC-PEARL, or go to the website, thereconnection.com. We've got to take our last break to the top of the hour, but we will be back with our guest, Dr. Eric Pearl, on News for the Soul right after this. Don't go away. And we're back. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Definitely got it all going on today right here. <laughs> Dr. Eric Pearl is our guest. You can find him online at thereconnection.com, and you can see him live right in where you are, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, February 11th. And for those of you listening online not live, there are many other Canadian appearances and U.S. appearances coming up, and so go to thereconnection.com and check that out. And I definitely want to see you when you're here in Vancouver in April. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And uh, we'll definitely get you back on the show. But just uh, just to, we're almost at the top of the hour here, and it's just kind of flown by. I just realized I never did get to find out who these people were. Well, guess what? Neither did I. <laughs> I mean, I honestly. God, and you've got to hear what that means. I really don't know outside of that. I do know that it's a more expanded us. It's the next level that we are moving towards, which of course means we're moving into expanded health, into expanded love. When I said step forward and prosper, I mean prosper in health and being in who we are. When we carry the gift to wherever two or more, you know, gathered, not to sound overly religious, to be present and in that someone's presence vibrate at a level of light to remind that person that they too are light and they then lose all the illusion of illness and move into health. What greater gift is that? And yet we also need to recognize when we can do that, that we have now a choice to make. Are we willing to accept that mantle and go forward? And again, touch as many people with that gift of help as possible, especially once we're able to do it in this way that is very new, very different, and very, very, very real. And, I, you know, I like what you said, too, about demonstrating, sort of talking about things is, is not coming from a place of power, but coming from experience when you know. So um, we should well, go... When you're, I mean, when you, when you do this, I mean, hopefully, you know, your people will want to come, the listeners in, in Phoenix. But, of course, when we're in the Canadian tours, 
come by and you get to see because you're the one they're listening to. And you get to go back on air and say, you know, sorry I dragged you through the interview with that guy. Or, <laughs> oh, my God, something's really happening here. Oh, I'll be there. See, this is how I approach everything with the show because I talk to a lot of people that may seem out there. But, you know, going through doing the remote viewing training and doing all of these things, then we can come back and we've experienced it and we know. And, and I'm always saying talk is cheap, but, you know, you guys listening True. in Phoenix right now, you've got nothing to lose. Get over there on the 11th, and if you mention News for the Soul at the door, you get in for free and go and see and then email me. <laughs> Tell me what you thought, what you experienced. So newsforthesoul.com, you can hear. If you've missed any of this hour, go there after tomorrow, and it will be there in the archive. And uh, Dr. Pearl's website, thereconnection.com. Just a closing thought here as we're going through our last minutes or so. What is your theory, then, on... I mean, you, you were saying I was being sort of guarded in my answers about the, you know, time uh, and all of that. No, and what I was, what I meant was you were, you were very diplomatically not allowing me to pin you down to having one belief or another. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that's the thing is, is once you're attached to any belief system, then you're attached to your belief system. So right. I, I deliberately try not to do that. But, you know, it, it's, we've talked to so many people on the show over the years that, I mean, quite frankly, a lot of them have been saying a lot of out there things, but, but they all seem to meet in this one place of, of, you know, you just mentioned it, about the illusion that uh, as soon as we buy into one story that it's an illusion. So do you, is that sort of your theory as well as far as, you know, disease and it is about disease because I don't, and this won't be a very popular view, believe me, but I do not buy into the concept of evil. I believe that we all have our lessons and we are taught our lessons in various ways in which we choose to learn them and that there is light and that there are times when we turn away from the light. But there's no such thing as evil or darkness. If there were darkness, you could walk into a dark room, sweep it up, put it in a paper bag and stick it out with the trash, but you can't because it doesn't exist and it only shows itself to be a lack of light, and that includes itself being a lack of vision when we don't see things, when we believe in evil. I believe the three most powerful words on the planet are I don't know because it allows you to explore, and as soon as we assign something to be something, we, whether it's evil or whether it's anything else, we stop learning right on that process because our exploration stops and we become afraid to be wrong. Let's be right, and let's explore, and let's open up, and let's find what there is. Is it an illusion? Maybe, but it's a process of learning, and aren't we all here to learn and expand and explore? When these healings happened, people said, how did you know you want to move forward with this work? And I figured I've got two choices, two worst-case scenarios. One, I die, I show up at the pearly gates or whatever you believe in, and St. Peter or whoever's there says, you know what, gave you a chance to, uh, well, St. Peter says, look what you did, you made some horrible mistake, and you led all these people down some horrible path, and you've got to go back and live your life over 600 times. That's yeah. A. B, as I show up there and I hear, gave you the opportunity to open some eyes and some windows to make a change on the planet that would forever have wonderful repercussions, and you didn't do it because you were afraid. And I have to tell you, it's that second one that I would not be able to live with, and that's why I'm doing this. Well said. Well said. I definitely can understand where you're coming from. Uh, on that note, unfortunately our time is up, but you must, must, must come back on the show. I'd love to. 
February 11th, go see Eric Pearl live at thereconnection.com. We'll see you guys back here next week with more news for your soul. This has been News for the Soul with Daniel Brinkley and Nicole Whitney. Visit us anytime online at www.newsforthesoul.com where you can listen to all our previously aired shows at any time and so much more. Have a great week and remember, what you focus on expands. NBC 1190 is KMYL, Dallas and Phoenix, your home for NBC News. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our heart and open up our souls, and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. Good afternoon or good evening, depending on wherever you're tuning in from. I'm Nicole Whitney, and you're now tapped into News for the Soul. That's life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Big day on the big shoe. For the first time, together on the air on News for the Soul, Dr. Hugh Len from Ho'oponopono with amazing stories to tell and amazing results to talk about with respect to his work in Ho'oponopono for over a quarter of a century. Along with Dr. Hugh Len on the show, Dr. Joe Vitelli from The Secret, from Spiritual Marketing, the author of that bestseller and many others, who you can find online at mrfire.com. He's here also at the same time. Let's welcome them both on and start the fun. Welcome to News for the Soul, Dr. Hulen and Dr. Joe Vitelli. Well, it's good to have both of you on the line today. This is quite a treat, and I get well, a front row. It's always a treat to be with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys have been doing a lot of work together, interesting work, and your latest project has been unveiled, events and all kinds of things. So I want to talk about all of that stuff, but I want to get a bit of behind the scenes while we have both of you on the line of how you connect it and such. So perhaps, Dr. Joe, you want to go first and say, how did you first find a connection with Dr. Lynn? My friend Mark Ryan told me three years ago, probably three years ago this month, about a therapist who worked at a mental hospital for the criminally insane in Hawaii who allegedly healed or helped heal all of those patients, and he did it with some unusual Hawaiian method, and the punchline was he didn't treat them individually. He didn't see them as a patient. And when Mark told me this three years ago, I said, Mark, you're a nice guy. I like you, but this sounds like an urban legend. It doesn't sound true. I certainly know about distance healing and different modalities, but being able to help heal people without seeing them professionally just didn't make any sense. So I very wisely dismissed it. And then uh, the year after that, same place, same month, but a year later, Mark asked me, he says, did you ever go looking for that therapist that I told you about the year before? And I said, no, I actually forgot all about it. But since he brought it up to me, I took it as a sign 
I got curious, and we both jumped online and did some Googling, did some searching, and we found it very difficult to find anything about this guy. And it bothered me. Now I had a, a mission. And when I got back to my home in Texas, I started investigating, and I did find him. I found that his name was Dr. E. Haleakala Hu Len. I found an email for him. I wrote to him, and I didn't get enough out of the email, so I asked to talk to him on the phone. And he was very kind, gave me over an hour of his time, answered all of my questions about his years at the mental hospital. And the next thing I know, I was, you know, almost the next weekend, I was meeting him in person and attending my first workshop. So it all began with a story I didn't believe. I went through the same kind of reaction, too. I found out about Dr. Lynn on your site, uh, Joe, when you were promoting an audio that you had done with the talk with him. And I thought, no. <laughs> but it's such an amazing story. So, Dr. Len, when you had first received the call from Dr. Joe, what was your reaction? Yeah. His call were many, many, many calls that I, I ordinarily would get. And actually, I don't answer telephones because I just I just don't have the capacity to keep up with all of the inquiries that came up. But I don't know. It was kind of an automatic response. The phone rang, and I was sitting there, and my aunt reached for it. <laughs> so um, we had a visit. And the truth is, he doesn't even remember talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's already confessed that to me, so I was totally uh, not memorable in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I asked the same questions everybody else did. But the beauty was, he spent almost an hour with me, and he didn't know who I was. He's very generous with his time and information. Well, the reason I ask is, is I'm trying, I've always been trying to understand in this story how this could have been going on for so long, and this information is somewhere, and no one else kind of picked up on it. And that always amazed me. So other people had known, they had talked to you about this process before and, and the results that you had. Oh, yeah, I've been doing this 25 years, mm -hmm. so... Uh, just for a nutshell version, anybody listening, you can go to the News for the Soul archives, which are always all free, and hear the previous shows that we've done, both with Dr. Joe Vitale and Dr. Hulan. They're all in the archives there, and it explains in much more detail the story that we're about to give the nutshell version of. But in brief, as you've said already, uh, Dr. Joe, these people that weren't even being physically met with by Dr. Lin, all the patients had gotten better. Well, Dr. Hulen can explain that better, but my understanding is, uh, and I'll say this first and then let him correct me, <laughs> my understanding is none of the patients did Ho'oponopono. The only person who was doing it when Dr. Hulen first arrived was Dr. Hulen, <laughs> and he did it quietly, he did it on his own, and it's a very internal process, it's between him and the divine, and he's basically holding the awareness of the problems he felt within himself as he looked at the therapists, or not the therapists, but the patients there. And as he's feeling whatever he's feeling, he's addressing the divine and saying things like, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, and I love you. And as he quietly did this, as time went on, things slowly began to change. Patients who had to be shackled didn't have to be shackled. Patients who were sedated didn't have to be sedated. Patients who were considered to be there for their entire lives were being released. And all that was happening that anybody knew was change was happening, but they didn't know where to give any credit or blame for it. And I would say it was Dr. Hulen doing, quietly doing Ho'oponopono 
that was causing the change. Now, let's see what he said. The only thing I would comment on is that I wasn't doing anything on the patient. What I was working on was the data in me that caused me to experience them or perceive them or see them in a way in which my data was saying. They're sick, they're violent, and I worked on the data, my perception of them, whatever the cause of my perception of them, as I worked only on the data in me, not on them, in me, then as the data got erased from me, however the divinity does it, I, I have no idea that when I do my cleaning on the Ho'oponopono, it, uh, it's then in the hand of the divinity. And so divinity really is the being who makes the changes. So the idea in the book that Joe and I put together is that when you do the Ho'oponopono, divinity has the capacity to take the data which, which one perceives as a problem and transform the data to nothing. And so the data gets zeroed out in me, the data, data gets zeroed out in the patient, the, the building, the ground, the documents, the, everything, it, everything gets zeroed out. And then uh, because we're, we're back to pure state called clarity, then everybody gets whatever they need from the divinity, not from me. And so people, like, like Joe is saying, people who were shackled no longer get shackled. The use of seclusion rooms um, simply faded away. Nobody decided and had it a goal, as a goal that we should, we should shut down the seclusion room. It, it just happened because the data was being released. And you weren't trying to fix them. You were working on whatever it was in you. You were, for lack of better words, fixing whatever it was in you. Yeah, and, and uh, one needs to be really clear about this because as I'm watching the Internet, uh, one needs to be really precise. And that is only the divinity can transform the data playing suffering, playing blame, playing thinking, coping, managing, making people wrong. Only the data, only divinity can take that data in me and erase it. So when people ask me if I'm a shaman, I said, no, I'm a garbage collector, <laughs> just simply recycling the garbage. Am I a healer? No, only divinity can do that. So the idea is that everything is data. So what, whether we experience this up, our experiences are up or down, it's data in the subconscious replaying, and the mind just follows the data. And so by erasing the data, by petitioning divinity to erase the data, it gets erased in you since we're all interconnected. It gets erased in all the beings throughout the cosmos. You know, and what always comes up for me when I hear you talk about this is Collectively, like the fact that you two are have connected and you're doing work on a much broader scale now. Now people know about your work and this amazing story on a much bigger scale. And you know, even after today, and get, getting out there more on more radio stations and more media, does that make a difference on the effectiveness? I mean, what can we do with this? And does it make a difference when more of us do it together? Joe, <laughs> oh, I was waiting to hear your answer to that. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear yours, Joe, so I can bounce off of yours, Joe. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what Dr. Hulen told me in the very first workshop that I did with him. And I met him there and uh, loved him and wanted to do more with him and said I wanted to write a book about this. And he was a little open, but he was also had his opinion that nobody else needs to do this work. Only you do. 
if you do it, then you can have the same kind of uh, experience that Dr. Hulen did at that hospital. He does the work, not trying to change anybody. He's just taking out his own garbage. And as he's taking out his own garbage and allowing the divine to clean up, everything around him in that hospital changes. And so from the perspective that he was telling me at that weekend is, Joe, you just do it. Or even better than that, he just do it. And as he does it, the world changes. Now, I didn't quite settle for that mm -hmm. because I was driven by wanting to share the things I'm in love with. And so I really wanted to write a book feeling that if I could write a book about zero limits, about this healing technique, and I can get him to help me with it so I know I'm accurate and I'm factual in what I'm explaining, and more people knew of this, then I could just imagine that it would speed up divinity's ability to clean the universe. And so that's my take on it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. A friend of mine, when I did a class recently in Raleigh, North Carolina, a friend of mine gave me a caricature of a cartoon that was done in some magazine or newspaper. And the cartoon showed two things. It showed a guy holding a book in a bookstore standing under the sign saying, Self-Help. And then in the distance, in the same cartoon, there's a bunch of people sitting around the table, and over them is a sign that said, Fixing Other People. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I'm not here to fix other people. They're perfect already. Perfect. I mean, they're, they're created in the exact likeness of the divine. They're perfect. What is imperfect is the data in me that says they're not divine. So, for example, the word aloha. When you say aloha to someone, really in the deepest part of your being, which is zero, you're saying to them, I'm in the presence of God. And so to think that you're going to fix God is utterly ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I'm looking at something, and I don't see that person, I don't experience that person as godly. Then, boy, I should be looking at myself and saying, what is going on in me that I'm experiencing anger, resentment, annoyance, irritation, blame? And, boy, I should get to it because the, that being in front of me is God, a God being. And I shouldn't be messing around with it. No, I think this is the point where people get stuck. Only oh. if we say so. So as you're talking, I'm doing my cleaning. Because <laughs> that's the that's perception that says that if we're stuck, we think other people are stuck. Okay. But nobody, nobody's stuck. Everybody's perfect. What happens is our perception is people are stuck. That's our problem. And as long as we don't get to that, everybody's going to be stuck because we're stuck. Once one person is stuck, Everybody's stuck, so we we have in fact we are in fact preventing other people from experiencing who they are. God. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is based on the questions that we get a lot from our previous interviews. Well, with both of you on the subject, so you clean me, I'll ask. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not cleaning you. I think that's very important. I'm cleaning the data, my perception. Okay. It's, that's where people have. That's where people have go screwy. If I'm watching the <laughs> the so-called zero limit idea get worked on contorted, so I get to clean that. All the people are saying, oh, I get to clean that. I'm only here to clean. I don't care if anybody else cleans. But I think I think Joe is correct. 
Joe has this ability to share this information, but ultimately I'm responsible for whatever's going on in me, and I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to clean him. Okay. The, the question that comes up a lot that I have and other people have is, when you're sitting there, you know, I can be on a veranda sipping a Mai Tai or something, you know, <laughs> diet pop, and have somebody walk by who's angry and, and having their own experience, and I'm looking at that person and I can see their God, their divinity, but they're, you know, God having a bad day. <laughs> so how do I get into full responsibility mode with, with seemingly external things? Cool, cool. I will uh, answer that first, I guess. Go ahead, Joe. Well, what I look at is that I, I am not looking at what the other person is going through or what the other person is looking like they're experiencing. I'm looking at what I'm experiencing. So if I look at another person and I perceive that they are angry, that's what I'm cleaning within myself because it's not the other person. I don't even know what's really going on in the other person. I might think they're angry, and they might not even be angry. It might just be my misperception, uh, my misunderstanding. Uh, and so whatever I see out there and how I feel about out there is what I take to the divine. And I'll say something equivalent to, I'm sorry for this perception I have. I have no idea where it came from. It could have come from the past. It could have come from past lives. It could have come from when I was sea salt. I don't know. But uh, please forgive me for it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for resolving this. Thank you for cleaning this in me. And then I always go back to what I think are the three most powerful words, and that's I love you. And if I can say I love you to the divine and truly feel love as I say it to the divine, I can move into tears of rapture, and then I begin to feel like there's nothing wrong with the other person at all, and again, I don't even know what's going on in the other person. When I say I sense they're angry, that's my perception that I clean on. I don't clean on the other person at all. I clean on me, and more often than not, though I don't keep tabs on this, I find out that the other person seems to change, but really, they didn't even change. It was me who changed. Everything is done from the inside of me, and it's due to my relationship to what I call the divine, which is a term I got from Dr. Hulen, which seems politically correct to me, and I like using it. So it's my relationship to the divine. And that makes sense. That was a good explanation. So you're, you're not just relying on your perceptions. You're cleaning them. Well, what I learned from Dr. Hulen and what we write about in the book Zero Limits is that our perceptions don't have a clue what's going on. That's based on our conscious mind. And our conscious mind is so insignificant in its power to assess any situation, let alone another person, or what's going on in another person's mind or body or their feeling or their spirit. So for me to, to trust my conscious mind and my conscious view of things is to totally be misled down a dark alley. It doesn't have a clue what's going on. And that's why I basically have to turn it over to the divine, which has access to everything. I don't. I only have this little peephole into the universe through my conscious mind, and everything else that's going on, I'm not consciously aware of. Okay. Do you want to add anything to that, Dr. Lamb? No. I, I have <laughs> nothing to add to that. He said it. I didn't hear anything come up, so I'm grateful to him. I Perfect. And the book, Thank of course, you. as we haven't mentioned it yet, Zero Limits, is the... When did that come out? Uh, just June 29th, I think. It's only been out a short time. 
And I want to mention a couple things about this because this is fairly miraculous, and it's my term, but I, I believe it. That book became a number one bestseller at Amazon. It actually became a top 100 bestseller at Amazon three times. And the first time, the book didn't even exist yet. Last December, I had sent an excerpt from the book as a short little 500-word article, and I sent it out on the Internet to my list, and those people read it. They liked it. It touched something within them. They sent it out to other people. We estimate about 5 million people saw that article. And many of those people drove over on their own without anybody requesting them to do that or guiding them to do it. And they went to Amazon, and they pre-ordered the book. Now, all that was listed on Amazon was the title and the author's name. There was no cover. There was no book description. And, in effect, there was no book because I was still finishing it in December. As I was turning it into the publisher, that book was becoming a bestseller before it was even released. Now, I believe that because Dr. Houlette and I have been cleaning on this book and this book project ever since we decided or agreed that we were going to do it, I believe we've been cleaning the way for it to come out into the world to such an extent that I didn't have to do any marketing to make it a bestseller. All I had to do was just release a little bit of information, and the universe itself, the divine itself, whatever you want to call it, is making it or allowing it to happen without too much effort on our part. So I think this is evidence or at least another example of how cleaning makes a difference in your life. I wasn't cleaning to make the book a bestseller. I was going to make the book a bestseller later when it was actually out, but as I was cleaning, it became a bestseller before I even tried to make it one. Which is a huge statement for you, being the author of Spiritual Marketing and all the hypnotic yeah. marketing theories and mega marketing, basically. I have many books, but I've never had one become a bestseller before it was finished. <laughs> well, and, and normally you have a marketing process that you go through to achieve yes. bestsellerdom. That's exactly right, yeah. Very interesting indeed. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Before having both of you on the show today, I sent out a notice and offered to uh, have over 31,000 News for the Soul listeners that are subscribed to our e-news ask questions so they can absorb more about Ho'oponopono and making it a practical application for their own lives. And I was overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I was absolutely overwhelmed with the responses. So... What I've been trying to do is kind of assimilate a, the temperature of a lot of what was coming in in the questions so far, but I'm hoping that we can get to a couple of them specifically. Now, the event, I wanted to ask you about that first. You have an event together that's coming up? Yes. Dr. Hulan and I are going to be doing a zero-limit week, zero weekend retreat in Maui, Hawaii on uh, December 1st and 2nd. Dr. Hulan and I will take turns talking
and you'll get information on it. Then you can decide if you want to meet us in Maui or not. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because I just want to hang out with Dr. Hulen and hear his stories. And whatever else happens will just be whatever else happens. I think, I think that's probably correct in a sense that I'm just hanging around Joe and doing the cleaning. I'm hanging around whatever it comes up I need to clean with. I'm going to do the cleaning. And so the event manifests, and if I'm doing my cleaning, Hopefully the divinity will do the seminar and I get to go, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but we'll, we will see. The reason I wanted to ask you about the event before we started with the questions, one of them had sent in, most people were asking about the practical application of Ho'oponopono in, you know, specific issues or whatever in their life. But one person had written in a, a different question that, first I wasn't going to include it on the short list here, but then I thought, no, oh, it's interesting. I'd like to see what the Ho'oponopono response would be. Um, this comes from Vicki in Philadelphia, and she is absolutely impassioned to go to uh, a seminar with both of you. And she was asking about, you know, she has this burning desire, but should she go? Because she will be using her bill-paying money to attend. So from a Ho'oponopono perspective, do each of you want to give a response to Vicki? Well, my earth-level response is I don't believe people should be spending their bill money to go to a seminar that's not going to happen for several months out. If she wants to go, I would say that you might want to clean on whatever comes up when she thinks of money. I'm guessing she probably has a scarcity mindset, and I'm cleaning on this as I'm saying it. So I'm trying to explain that when something like this comes up, I regard it as a shared experience. Like I may have a leftover program within me that's concerned about money and scarcity and paying the bills. So I'm holding that awareness as I'm cleaning. I'm saying, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, as I'm going through this process of answering the question. And then I'm answering the question as a friend, I think, would answer it, saying, you know, don't spend the money you have to go and use your, to pay your bills with. Maybe focus on having the money come from another source. You can even ask the, the divine, if it's right for me, let it be. But no addiction to it, no uh, forcing it. And the, ultimately, I don't know if that person needs to be at the seminar. I mean, you might want to be there, but you don't really need to be there. I don't even know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up and let Dr. Hulen say something. The only thing I would do is clean for me, because um, it's very important to know that we ourselves don't make decisions. So we want to be clear that when something moves us, that is, in fact, an inspiration from the divine, not some data playing from the past. So for me, I would just continue to do my cleaning, and if I do my cleaning, then whenever that time comes, whether she shows up or not, I'll look over the horizon. I, I will do my cleaning and see who comes, who comes over the horizon. So I'm not here to tell people what they or they should not be doing. I'm here to be 100% responsible, and I do, I'm doing my cleaning. Well, I wanted to ask that one, because, you know, it's interesting how we can be spiritual as all heck, and then the money thing comes in. And well, um, let me pause there for a second. You know, when you say the money thing comes in, when anybody says anything comes in, you know, the frustration comes in, the anger comes in, the sex comes in, the romance comes in, the money comes in, that's an opportunity for cleaning. And what I do is I take that feeling, instead of just kind of intellectualizing it or trying to be cognitive about it and break it down or understand it, which are all things I've done in the past, instead I take whatever just showed up. In this case, okay, the money thing shows up. I take that, and in the, in the background in my mind, and I'm articulating this so everybody understands what I'm doing, what I'm doing silently, and
and this is what I'm doing within myself. I hold the feeling of, okay, there's the money thing, and then I say, okay, universe, the divine, I'm sorry for this program. I don't know where it came from. I don't have a clue. Please forgive me because I have some sort of role in this. Here it is in my awareness where I've got some sort of involvement in the program. Thank you for listening. Thank you for removing this. Thank you for cleaning this. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for my life. And then I love you, always going back to that rapport state, which can put me in a state of rapture when I really feel like, oh, God, it is such a privilege to be alive, and I can communicate with the divine and be one with the divine, and where I want to be is zero limit, where there aren't any of these programs, and where the money thing doesn't surface. But when the money thing surfaces, or anything surfaces, that's my opportunity to clean. So Joe is making a very important point. And it's really a secret, if you want to use the word secret, and that Joe and I notice that every time there's a problem, we're always there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's really important to get that one, because the problem always originates within the South and never outside. So what does that mean? Well, it means then that the data's playing. Something's going on called data or information in the subconscious that's playing. Because that's what you're experiencing. You're not experiencing that person not having any money. You're experiencing your reaction to that person. And if one would be willing to clean up one stuff, I think Joe made the point, which is really an interesting one, and that that person may decide or, or comes up, the inspiration is, why are you going to waste your time there? You can go elsewhere. You can go on vacation to the Poconos or something. <laughs> so what we're hoping to do is, as Joe and I clean, only the people who are moved to come will come, as opposed to if we don't do our cleaning, folks are going to come, you go, uh-oh, that's what's going to happen. People will show up that really don't need to be there because we weren't 100% responsible for cleaning up our stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that explanation and what you just walked us through uh, as well, Dr. Joe, was perfect because that gives you, you know, a real clear idea of what to do in those moments as those things come up. So thank you for that. Well, you know, it answers that any question you ask after this has already been answered. For anybody listening, and also for myself, whatever the next question is, it's going to have a fill-in-the-blank kind of program in it. That's what we've been calling in the book programs, beliefs, limitations, what Dr. Hulen refers to as data. That's in the way of experience the experiencing the divine and experiencing the inspiration in the moment that could lead to wealth, success, happiness, I don't know what that could be. It could be anything because it's coming from the divine. But any question that comes up is coming up from our conscious, doesn't know everything awareness, and it's going to be the same answer. Clean on it. Whatever that question was, clean on it. Well, let's try this question from Sylvia. (laughs) When you were saying the phrase, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I love you, thank you, and God bless, do you need to know what you were saying it for, or can you just say it over and over again whenever you think of it and still have it doing what it needs to do to clean anything and everything? I'll definitely take that one. I have learned to say it nonstop, and there are times when I stop, but for the most part, I'm consciously doing it, so it's almost the new self in the back of my mind. So most people know what self-talk is, but if they don't, there's wonderful books on it. There's one called What to Say When You Talk to Yourself by Helmstetter. And he pointed out that most of us have this very critical self-talk that's going on. We're telling ourselves that we're stupid or fat or unlovable or any number of things. And I've learned that you can change the self-talk with some awareness. And what I'm hoping to do with the book Zero Limits is help people be aware that you can start saying, I love you, 
I'm sorry, please forgive me and thank you, as a type of self-talk, you're saying it to the big self, not the little self. The little self is you and your ego. The big self is the divine. So to the best of my ability, I am repeating it to the divine nonstop. Even right now as I'm talking, it's going on in the back of my head. But when something shows up in my life, the money thing, the frustration thing, the anger thing, the loneliness thing, I mean, whatever it happens to be, I will hold the awareness of that problem, problems in parentheses, because it's, you know, just a perception. I'll hold the awareness of that problem slash perception, and I will address the divine while holding that feeling and saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you, thinking about, feeling about that particular problem. So maybe I do it with a little bit more focus and a little bit more intensity, but the first part of the answer is I'm doing it all the time. The second part is if something surfaces, I aim at it and do it on that. Dr. Hulan, would you like to add anything to that? No, what he said is pretty clear. So that's amazing that you've gotten to the point where you've immersed in this to where that's your self-talk most of the time. Well, it started to kick in the very first weekend that I did the workshop, my very first workshop with Dr. Hulen. And I went there ready because I had already talked to him. I was already fascinated. I was already deeply curious. And I don't know, I kind of picked up on his vibe in the room, you know, like we all give off a kind of tuning fork energy signal. And I kind of merged with it. And I pretty quickly, the very first day, started to absorb that energy. And I started saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Consciously. I know that there were other people in the room who did not take that on as quickly. I didn't know then that I was supposed to clean on that. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it was my first weekend. But that's where it all began for me with the new types of self-talk. Mm. So why don't you tell her about that experience about your plane being late? Yes, I, I believe I know which one you're talking about. I did a workshop, a, a different workshop with Dr. Hu Lan, and I absolutely loved it because I've done several with him. So I had gone to California. I did another workshop with him. He took me to the airport early in the morning. I was all set to catch my flight. In fact, I was amazed that there was no traffic, there was no long line at the airport. I thought, boy, this cleaning is really working because I'm getting right through everything. And I get over to where my plane is, and I'm there for the next eight hours.